0: Chapter twenty eight of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty eight The John Brown Carpenters at Home. A dim memory of John Jackson's movement toward the kitchen door just as she went into oblivion over that letter having returned to her, she made her way thither. Mary Jane was polishing the tiny range and singing cheerfully, Since Thou hast died, the pure, the just, I take my homeward way in trust. Her mistress paused to listen to the strain, feeling little thrills of gladness over the fact that the singer meant every word. She had recognized with heartfelt joy the tie that bound her to these two who were serving her. They were loyal, cheerful servants of her newly-found master. Having had few evenings in their meagre life to spend together, neither of them had seemed to think for a moment of borrowing one from their midweek prayer-meeting. "'Yes'm,' Mary Jane had said proudly when she questioned. John always goes to prayer-meeting, unless something comes up about the freight or something of that kind that hinders him. He ain't exactly his own master, you know, but it don't happen very often. The men he works for understand about him, and they're real good. They kind of try to plan for him, though they don't go to meetings themselves, ever. He ain't missed but two prayer-meetings in a year. One of them the freight-house door wasn't fixed right, and he was afraid to leave, and the other time was when the little boy where he boards was dreadful sick and wanted him. The little fellow died in his arms, ma'am. There was a kind of grave pride in her tones, and the other Mary Brown had sympathized heartily with her thought. Also she respected John Jackson for his fidelity to the midweek prayer meeting. She had now been twice to the dreary little Thursday evening meeting with her handmaid, being duly escorted home by the faithful John, but first she had heard him pray, and she knew that he could join heartily in her handmaid's song. Since thou hast died, the pure the just, I take my homeward way in trust. THE GATES OF HEAVEN WILL OPEN WIDE, WHEN HERE I MAY NO MORE ABIDE. I THOUGHT MR. JACKSON WAS HERE, SHE SAID TO THE SINGER. OH, NO, MA'AM, HE STOPPED IN TO SAY GOOD MORNING WHEN HE BROUGHT OVER YOUR LETTER, BUT HE'S BEEN GONE THIS AGE. AND THEN MARY BROWN REMEMBERED THAT THE LETTER HAD BEEN LONG, AND THAT SHE HAD WAITED TO THINK IT ALL OVER. IT WAS REALLY NEARLY NOON. DID YOU WANT HIM, MA'AM? I COULD HAIL THE BUTCHER BOY. HE IS OVER AT CASWELL'S NOW, AND HE GOES RIGHT PAST THE STATION. WILL I YELL TO HIM? Miss BROWN REFLECTED. Hurriedly, though, out of respect to the butcher boy. No, Mary, thank you. It will do this evening. I want to have a business talk with him. I'll send the little Caswell boy over to the station with a note and ask him to stop on his way home tonight and take his dinner here to save time. You will be willing to have him take dinner with you, will you not? Be sure to plan something that you know he especially likes. And she went away smiling over the light in Mary's eyes and reflecting on what trifles it took to make people happy. Little things that she might have been doing all her life and had never thought of john jackson was as prompt as the six o'clock steam whistle would allow oh yes he could give her the time as well as not the whole evening if she needed it he had got his figuring all done and was free until to-morrow mary brown rejoiced over this she could dispatch her part of the business quickly but she felt certain that there would need to be much more figuring done over that nice little dinner which was waiting for him in the neat kitchen mary jane had done her best aided and abetted royally by her mistress who had eaten hers already in order to be out of the way She had planned what she wanted to say to John Jackson, and plunged at once into business. "'I need not take much of your time, Mr. Jackson, but you and Mary will need the entire evening, I presume. My plans have changed somewhat since I came. At least there are reasons why I have made changes in dates and—and other things. The truth is I am about to be married, and instead of going to my other home for the ceremony, as I had originally planned, we shall be married here, in this little room.' John Jackson's eyes were pleasant to see. They shone with sympathy, yes, and with satisfaction. He believed in his generous soul that this woman, who was a very unusual person, according to his standard of women, and he had had much to do with them in the way of business, would be certain to plan it all so that he and Mary Jane could see the thing done, and a rarely beautiful sight John believed it would be. "'That's fine, ma'am,' he said heartily. "'The little house will be tickled over it, and it doesn't seem as though you could find a more homelike place on this earth than it is—at least that is the way it looks to me." Well, ma'am, if there's any earthly thing I can do to help, either before he gets here or afterwards, I'm ready. And so is Mary Jane. Thank you, said Miss Brown, smiling over thoughts that he could not possibly guess. I felt quite sure of you. I have already written to mister Br—to Dr. Carpenter what excellent helpers and advisers I have found here. He ain't a railroad man, then, said John, a trifle disappointed. I thought maybe he was, and if he was, maybe I could— Miss Brown laughed, a sweet, glad laugh the dear fellow was actually planning to offer some of the courtesies of the railroad to her friend no she said he isn't a railroad man he is a teacher but he will like to talk with you about railroading and all sorts of things he is one of the men who is interested in whatever is going on the special business that i want to talk over with you now has to do with this little house i am very much attached to it it is as you say homelike, the most so of any house that i have lived in for years i want to keep it looking as much like a home as it does now in memory of my dear old nurse who gave it to me, and I want to be sure of having it filled full of true happiness. The flower garden with all the old-fashioned flowers must be kept to bloom every season, and Nurse Borland's grave kept aglow with them. I want a tenant who will see to it that all this is done, and everything kept up as it should be. Besides, the house itself needs a caretaker, of course, someone who understands how to keep it up, and who loves flowers and will keep them always in their season on this table under Nurse Borland's picture. It means a good deal of work, you see, and it also means tenants whom I can trust. I am sure you must see what I am planning. If you and Mary Jane could be here together, looking after my interests, it would be the best possible arrangement, don't you think so?" Small need to ask what he thought. She had never seen a more hungry longing flash over a face than his expressed. But there was anxiety also, and he spoke quickly. "'Why, ma'am, that would be the best thing this side of heaven for Mary Jane and me, of course, and it don't seem very far this side of it either but there's no use i couldn't not now manage to raise any more than five dollars a month for rent anyhow i could fix it i've figured that out forty times if i have once and i know i couldn't be honest and put on a cent more and of course i know that's nonsense i know as well as any man in this town does that the fruit and the garden stuff on the place and the poultry yard and all the rest of it is worth more than that a month to say nothing of the house and besides but miss brown would not wait for besides you don't quite understand mr jackson she said I don't want to rent the place in the usual way. I shall never rent it. What I am in search of is one who, in return for living in the house, and making what he can out of the fruit and the garden, will take such care of it, and of everything else, as I am sure you and Mary would do. The care and the rent balance each other, don't you see? I don't want to leave the house vacant, for even an hour. It would make me homesick to think of it left alone. I should like to leave you two in charge. I am to be married on the 14th of October, and i thought perhaps you and mary would like to make that your wedding day also and be married in this room just before we are then we could go away at once as soon as the wedding breakfast was served and leave you two at home could you plan for that do you think she was not prepared for the effect she produced john jackson was a large man tall heavily framed and well proportioned stalwart was the word that came naturally to one's lips in describing him moreover he was of an unusually cheerful disposition with a pleasant look that was almost a smile nearly always on his face and with a whistle or a song in his mouth such men do not easily lose self-control but john's eyes suddenly dimmed and his features worked so visibly under the power of his emotions that he turned his back to the lady and she stood quite still waiting respectfully while he battled with his tears i ask your pardon he began presently in a muffled voice still without turning around i dunno what come over me mary jane will tell you that it ain't like me ma'am this givin way and acting like a baby But it all come over me so sudden and unexpected. Mary Jane and me have been waiting so long, and it looked as though we'd have to keep on doing it. And since Mother died, there hasn't been anyone to really care, and—I don't know what to say, ma'am, nor how to say it, but—' Never mind saying it to me, Mr. Jackson. Go and talk it over with Mary. She is waiting for you. I shall understand without further words that you accept my offer, and I am more glad than perhaps I can put into words to leave my dear little cottage in such hands. Don't be troubled about showing your heart to me. I can see that you love Mary in the way that a man ought to love the woman he marries, and I like you the better for being moved at the thought of having her for your own a little sooner than you had hoped." "'It wasn't only that,' he struggled to say. The thing that got hold of me was your planning like an angel from heaven and—' But she laughed and would not listen. "'Go to dinner,' she said, opening the door for him. "'We can plan the details later.' There was no hilarity in the kitchen that evening. By and by there was the soft clatter of dishes, and there was, all the evening, the murmur of voices and earnest conversation, but they took it gravely, almost with awe, and this she came to understand later. The plan which to her had been so simple and matter of course came to those two as a great gift straight from Heaven, almost too great at first for belief. "'Fact is,' John said a few days later, "'I have to pinch myself every once in a while to make sure that I ain't asleep dreaming about Heaven.' But on that first evening he ventured no more words to her when, punctually, as the clock at the station began to clang ten, he appeared at the sitting-room door to find if she had any errands for him. There was a kind of solemn joy on his face that dignified it wonderfully. Busy days followed. Mary Brown had spent that first evening in planning them. The shopping part, she decided, was easily settled. Very little personal shopping needed to be done until she reached home, but she had certain choice plans for Mary Jane. A wedding dress that should be fine enough to rejoice the heart of the girl's mother, yet not too fine to be worn much afterwards was her heart's desire and there were other things oh a good many of them mary brown had enjoyed one shopping excursion in her life and meant to enjoy another she rejoiced that she knew of a good department store so convenient to circleville only the other girl ought to be there to wait on her that dear other girl and she had stopped to think over the scene at their first meeting which now seemed ages in the past did she half like that tardy uncle's appearance on the scene to spoil her plans still as john said there were some reasons why it would be better for jenny and of course there were hosts of other things to plan for her manifestly the first one was a bridesmaid's dress how convenient it was that the same measurements answered for both that had been proved before she left mount Hermon, when the wardrobe that had been purchased for the other girl was passed over to her with many objections on her part mary brown smiled as she recalled the difficulty she had had in explaining that she could not make the outfit useful in euston square They went together, mistress and maid, to the department store in the city, Miss Brown resisting for her maid's sake the temptation to take the voluble and excited mother with them. She knew that she would have enjoyed the good woman's running commentary on all things, but she foresaw that Mary, who loved her mother with the kind of love that had made her life thus far a steady, cheerful sacrifice for her sake, would be troubled by her ways in public. Mary Jane knew, as her mother did not, that it was not good form to talk to people in general about one's own or one's daughter's affairs nor to address shopmen or girls familiarly nor indeed to talk loud enough anywhere to be overheard mary jane was propriety itself her neat dark skirt and gingham waist were severely plain and eminently respectable so was her manner she was an alert watchful maid who had accompanied her mistress on a shopping excursion solely for the latter's convenience that was what her manner told the public and all the while under mary jane's demure exterior her heart was bounding with a joy too great for words it was an exciting day much had to be done under cover of secrecy miss brown had once more to seek a confidential shop girl to explain surreptitiously that her maid was soon to be married and she wanted her to have thus and so and although she did not find another jenny brown she was pleased and touched to note the instant bond of sympathy and to see how heartily and intelligently she was helped mary jane's own purchases were modest in the extreme not a penny more than she could help did she mean to spend of the sacred little hoard that had been slowly accumulating against the day when she might possibly go to housekeeping she steadily refused to look closely at a real sweet hat such as her mother had volubly urged her to buy when she thrust into the girl's unwilling hands that morning a five-dollar gold piece mother has been all summer laying it by in five and ten-cent bits to buy some winter flannels and things that she needs mary jane explained to miss brown's hint that possibly her mother might be disappointed she's just got to have some things and i'm going to buy them for her this very day mothers you know won't ever do things for themselves this two-dollar hat will do nicely for me "'I can fix the trimming a little different, I guess,' she said, surveying the ugly creation gravely. Then a cheerful smile, as she added naively, "'I don't care so much for the five-dollar hats, since I've seen that eight-dollar one over there, so I may just as well have this.' The logic of this satisfied her, and the purchase was made and dismissed from her mind. It may have been weakness in Miss Brown, but she had been bored by many shopping excursions, and she meant to have her pleasure in this one. Mary Jane was none the wiser for the swift telegraphic signals exchanged between her and the confidential attendant, which told her as plainly as words could have done to pack the $8 hat in the box bought for the 2 one one and add the difference to her bill. In no suggestion from Mary Jane's lips that day had extreme good taste and good judgment shown more conspicuously than in her instinctive choice of a hat. The materials were excellent, and would furnish Mrs. John Jackson with several hats in the seasons to come, if she so willed. "'Just to think of it!' said mrs roberts as she bustled skilfully about the little kitchen you and me at work together again in a kitchen and mr brown oh dear no i mean dr carpenter writing letters in the sitting-room i never shall get used to calling that man dr carpenter you could have knocked me down with a feather when he first told me and me hearing him give a splendid lecture at carmen college and thinking all the while of the things i'd said to him when he was picking over berries and shelling peas for me and to think of you and him being married to-morrow morning that didn't surprise me so dreadful much though somehow i felt all along that you two were meant for each other and i wasn't so awfully surprised either to hear that you were a grand rich woman and could do what you pleased i told mr br dr carpenter that if he had said you were king edward's niece and were going over to be married in the palace i wouldn't have been much astonished there was a kind of an air about you you know i always said so but isn't it all wonderful and splendid that nice mary jane she knows that she's tumbled right into clover i tell you she talks to Aileen think of my aline being away out here and me too for that matter mortgage and all and sitting upstairs with her this minute sewing lace on her wedding sleeves i'm thankful they aren't aline's wedding sleeves though that is coming some time i'm afraid don't you think that ridiculous boy well he's splendid anyhow i can say that with all my heart you remember him don't you kendall browning yes of course you do but i tell them they are both children and will have to wait years still he keeps planning he is going to have his mother and father out to mount Hermon next year and mr doctor carpenter says he is going to bring you and jenny and lots of other people out there for the summer fill up my house he said won't that be lovely and kendall thinks but i told Aileen that she must wait until the mortgage was paid and she giggled and said i'm afraid i'll be gray mary brown laughed appreciatively she loved to hear mrs roberts talk and she wanted to hug her delicious secret about the canceled mortgage a little longer that was to be one of the wedding morning memories at number fourteen euston square the harper family at least the younger portion, were gathered in the library in various stages of excitement. They were in momentary expectation of the arrival of Doctor with his bride, and the father and mother were already in the hall below. "'Don't let us all rush down upon them like lunatics,' said Nettie, the quiet one. "'It will be enough for father and mother to meet them at the door. The rest of us can be here waiting.' "'Oh, no!' said Alice, the irrepressible. "'I can't. I want the very first glimpse of her. I've forgiven her, I think, but—oh, dear!' Say, girls, do you know I'm glad, after all, that Miss Brown hasn't got home yet? If I were to see her just now, I'm afraid—and of course I want to like Doctor's wife better than anybody else. Oh, dear, why couldn't he? If he had only waited until he got home. Richard waited indeed. I like him real well, but as though he could be mentioned the same day with Doctor. Oh, there's the carriage. I'm going down, Nettie. I can't help it. And she went. And there was presently a wild shout. Nettie groaned. That child, she can never do anything reasonably. Then she heard, Girls, come here, come quick. It's Miss Brown herself. Alice, said Dr. Carpenter, catching her in his arms and holding her fast. Take that back at once. It isn't so. She is not Miss Brown. She is Mrs. John Brown Carpenter forever and ever. End of Chapter 28 End of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy